How's everybody doing today? That's not bad. Try it again. How's everybody doing today? That's great. How many would rather be here than in jail? That's a little better. Okay. Yeah, how's the food? I wouldn't know. It's not good. I work there. Yeah. I'm excited about what. Uh, this new year is going to hold, if you uh, notice on the wall over here, this is kind of our theme for this year, is to go deeper. And so there's basically four areas that we'll be going deeper in growth and worship and evangelism and stewardship. And there's so many things that fit under those categories that throughout this year, we will be touching on all of those. But this morning, I'm very excited for what we're able to do and how we're going to kind of kick off this new year. I prayed a lot about uh, what I was supposed to do. In fact, the series that we're beginning in just a moment uh, is not the one that I had planned on doing at the beginning of the year. I had something else in mind. In fact, uh, Monday, as I was studying um, at a restaurant, um, it just kept going over and over in my mind that this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I thought, God, if this is not what you want me to do, then you show me what you want me to do. And so this morning, I really believe that this is what God has directed me to do. So with that said, let's get started. There was a young wife and mom who became very ill, and she suddenly passed away. She was only in her probably mid-30s. She left a a husband, and she left a four-year-old daughter behind. The funeral was kind of what you would expect. It was very simple, but it was extremely full of love. When the funeral was over, the family and the neighbors all gathered around this man and his daughter, and they just prayed for him and talked to him. And one of the things they did was they, they tried to encourage him to stay with one of them for just maybe a few days or even a few weeks just so that they can begin to get adjusted to their new norm. But he insisted, no, we, we just need to be home. We need to get adjusted to our new norm there. Later that evening when he was trying to get his daughter settled down, he brought her toddler bed into his room and, so that they could face the dark night together. As you would expect, both of them had a hard time falling asleep and the little girl just kept crying for her mom. He comforted her the best he could, and finally she managed to stop crying, and he thought she had fallen asleep. And so with that, he went over to the window, looked out towards heaven, and just began to pray this. He said, Father, I trust you even though it's as dark as midnight. Hearing her dad's prayer, the little girl looked up and said, Daddy, did you ever know it could feel so dark? And Daddy, you will still love me even though it's dark, won't you? And you will love me even if I can't see you, won't you, Daddy? With that, he lifted her out of her bed and brought her close to his chest and said, I will always love you. And he held her until she went to sleep. And then that's when he took his little girl's words to heart and he offered them up to God as a prayer. And so he just prayed, Father, it's as dark as midnight. 
and I can't see you at all. But you will still love me even though it's dark, won't you? And you still will love me even if I can't see you, won't you, Father? I think all of us realize that in the midst of pain, just like this, this, this husband and dad realized that we got to do whatever we can to find hope. We just got to find some hope in something. And the truth is, we're all going to go through times of struggles and we're all going to have worries and, and fears and fatigue and loss and anxiety and grief. I mean, that's just the reality of life, right? And some of you have probably have already felt that as the year has begun. And it's in these times that our faith is going to be tested. And it's in these times that we're going to wonder, God, man, are you just on vacation somewhere? Did you go on a cruise? Did You know, you're down in the Bahamas because evidently you're not here. And I don't know about you, but I think we've all wondered that, right? But here's the thing. Whether you want to believe me or not, even in those times, I believe we can still find hope. We can still find hope. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament. You see, there was this guy who he had kind of lived this roller coaster type of life with victories and defeats and times of faithfulness to his God and times of unfaithfulness. And when he was older, he went through another dark time that brought him to a point where he wondered if there was hope. It was during a time of civil war when his son Absalom had decided he was going to kill his dad so that he could become king and so that he could take over the kingdom. And so in this dark season of life, in the lowest valley that he could walk through, David discovered hope. Most scholars believe that this is when he penned the words to Psalm 23. You see, he discovered hope when he wrote these words in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. This morning we're going to begin a six-week journey called Finding Hope in the Struggles of Life. And this journey will hopefully help us to change how we respond to life struggles as we begin to dive deeply into the waters of Psalm 23. Now, you may not realize it, but the 23rd Psalm has been in existence for almost 3,000 years. It's without question one of, if not the most famous Old Testament passages. Everybody knows it. In fact, even unbelievers know Psalm 23. Augustine called it the martyr's hymn because Christians would sing it on their way to their deaths as they were being executed for Jesus. Abraham Lincoln often referred to it during his days of deep depression during the Civil War. George W. Bush recited it to the nation that was wondering and weary after the events of September 11, 2001. You see, it's a psalm that a child could grasp because it's that simple, but it's the kind of psalm that a theologian could drown in because it's that deep. I really like what I might... Miami doctor once said, he said, the 23rd Psalm has been enshrined on a marble pedestal for far too long. We need to take it down, break it up, and use it in our lives. 
And that's exactly what we want to do over the next six weeks, is to begin to break it up and to begin to take its truths and to begin to apply them to our hearts so that we can find hope no matter what we go through. No matter what your struggle is, no matter what your hardship is, no matter if there's sickness or whatever it is in your life, whatever the struggle is, you will be able to find hope. That's our prayer. So as we begin today, let me pray for you guys. Father, we just, we just come to you this morning and we just lift this time up to you. God, this is such an amazing psalm. Help us right now as we begin to dissect it so that we can begin to take the truths that are there and begin to apply them to our lives so that we can have hope. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, here's what I want us to do. I just want us to stand together, if you would. Go ahead and stand with me. And we just want to read this psalm together. Now, I have chosen to read it out of the New Century Version because I really love how it's phrased in, in this particular version. So here we go, church. Let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm water. He gives me new strength. He leads me on paths that are right for the good of his name. Even if I walk through a very dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Your rod and your shepherd's staff comfort me. You prepare a meal for me in front of my enemies. You pour oil of blessing on my head. You fill my cup to overflowing. Surely your goodness and love will be with me all of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This morning I, I want to just focus on the first five words of this incredible psalm. And as we do, here's what we're going to do. I just want to accent certain words because I think as we accent them, it'll kind of bring out or bring some new life into the verse that maybe we hadn't thought about before. And maybe give us some new hope in the directions that we face in life and the struggles that we face. So let's begin. And the first we're going to do is we're going to accent the word shepherd. The word shepherd. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to say that with me. Are you ready with the, with the word shepherd being accented? So here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. Try it one more time. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, of all the images of God in the Bible, this may be one of the most powerful and one of the most beautiful images. Unfortunately, though, we live in a society where tending sheep is not just your ordinary occupation. Any sheep herders here? Any shepherds in here? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay. Um, I mean, I mean, that's just the, the world we live in. But think about this. When David was a kid, what was his job? I mean, I don't think he mowed yards, you know, and, and he didn't work at 7-Eleven, right? Okay, and he didn't have a paper route. So what did he do? Well, David watched sheep. David was a shepherd. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. But here's the interesting thing I find about Psalm 23. He didn't write this psalm from a shepherd's perspective, even though he was one. He wrote from the perspective of a sheep. Why? Because he understood 
who he was in relationship to who God was. He understood that God was the shepherd and he was the sheep. Now here's something interesting that I also found, and that is this. Did you know that over 200 times in the Bible, God calls his people sheep? Do you know that? Not 10 times, not 20 times, not 50 times, but over 200 times in the Bible, we are called sheep. Now, if we are his sheep, I thought it might be helpful if we begin to know a little bit about sheep. So I did some digging. I did some research, and guess what I found? I found several characteristics of sheep that helps me to understand why I am called a sheep and why you're called a sheep. So this morning, I just want to give you three of them, just very quickly. Here's three characteristics of sheep. The first thing is this. Sheep are stupid. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, sheep are stupid. They're not the brightest animals on the planet. Let me explain. Since I was a kid and growing up and watching TV, I've seen circuses, I've seen TV shows that have animal acts, I've seen trained dogs, trained cats, trained horses, you know, trained lions, tigers, and bears, not oh my, but just lions, tigers, and bears, and I've seen a lot of animals that have been been trained, but you really don't see any sheep that have been trained. Why? Because sheep are stupid, okay? They're not the sharpest tack in the box. That's just the way sheep are, and because of that, They get disoriented, and they can get frightened, and they can be easily led astray. So if one stupid sheep walks off a cliff, the rest will go, hey, guys, there goes Harry. Let's go follow him. That looks like fun. And all they did is they just go right off the cliff. True story. It was in the eastern part of Turkey in 2005. Five shepherds got all their flocks together, about 1,500 sheep, And they just let them graze out in this huge open pasture in eastern Turkey. The next morning, they decided that everything seemed to be fine. So they were going to go into town and eat breakfast together. Not long after they left, one stupid sheep decided that the cliff looked like fun. And so he began to walk towards the cliff. And four to five hundred other sheep followed him. And they went to their death. Now, I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes or anything. But let me tell you, they they said that they lost up to $70,000 because those sheep went over that cliff. Why? Sheep are stupid. Now, I thought about that. And if I'm going to be honest with you, there are times in in my life when I've been stupid, right? You too? I mean, if we're honest. I mean, I've been stupid. I've made stupid decisions. I've said stupid things. Let me ask you, have you, ever, have you ever just said, man, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't said that. Or I wish I hadn't done that. You see, we do stupid things. Why? Because we're sheep. We're sheep. So sheep are stupid. But the second thing I found is this. Sheep are dirty. I mean, they're dirty. They instinctively do not have within them the capacity or their ability to clean themselves. They're not like a cat that sits around going, you know, licking themselves all day. They're not like that. They can't do that. They can't clean themselves. And because there's not a lot of rain in the Middle East, as the pastures begin to dry up and the land begins to come just dirt and then mud when it does rain, the sheep get very dirty as they 
rest or as they lay in the dirt and the dirt gets trapped in the folds of their wool and it's been said that even over time maggots will grow in their wool. Why? Because they're dirty animals. And this is the key. They have no way of cleaning themselves. They cannot make themselves clean. Now I thought about that too. And if I was honest with you, I would have to say that there are times in my life more than I wish I, you know, more than I could count, more than I wish I, uh, uh, that was there, where sin has made me dirty. Sin has made me dirty. And I've done things, and I've said things. And my life has been unclean before my God. And here's the thing that I had to understand that is true of sheep, and that is this. On my own, I do not have the capacity to make myself clean. That's why I need a shepherd. Because I can't make myself clean. The third thing is this. Sheep are de defenseless. They can't kill game like a lion. They can't defend themselves against predators. They can't run fast. They don't have claws or sharp teeth. Can't dig a hole or climb a tree. They can't emit a bad smell like a skunk to make you go away. They can't swim across the river. And the list can go on and on. In fact, the only time in the Bible that sheep are seen in a good light is when they are under the care of a good shepherd. Because the good shepherd protects his sheep. And I need a shepherd who will protect me. Can you begin to see why a shepherd-sheep relationship pretty well describes our relationship with God? Can you see it? As Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, all of us, man, all of us, we've all gone astray. Why? Because we're like sheep. We're like sheep. Jesus knew this about us, and that's why in Matthew 9, 36, we read, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's why every one of us needs a shepherd. Someone who will show us compassion. Someone who will lead us and guide us and, and protect us and correct us and comfort us and provide for us. Why? Because the struggles are real in life, aren't they? I mean, the struggles are real. And we won't make it in life unless we understand who our shepherd is. Now let's accent the word Lord. The word Lord. So say this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Again, the Lord is my shepherd. Now the word Lord is a translation of the name Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. And the word Lord means boss. It means supervisor. It means master. It means leader over somebody. David is basically saying here, God, you're my boss. You're my master. You're my leader. And because you are my Lord, I need to follow you, be obedient to you, and trust you. Now, here's what's hard to understand. God is not the shepherd of everybody. You understand that? God's not the shepherd of everybody. Now, he wants to be. He wants to be the shepherd of everybody. But he's only the shepherd of those who ask him to be their shepherd who take him as Lord, who accept him in their heart as Savior 
and Lord. To say it another way, the Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. Say that with me. You ready, church? The Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. And maybe that's the one takeaway that you need today to grab a hold of. Why? Because a lot of people who claim to be Christians live like they are saying, God, I want you to be my shepherd because I want you to care for me, protect me, to love me, to bless me, to answer my prayers, but I just don't want you to be my Lord. I don't want you to be the master of my life. After all, God, I still want to make my own decisions, and I still want to do things my way. You ever been there? Know anybody like that? Let me be really honest with you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God is a gracious God, but if you want him to be your shepherd, then first of all, he has to be your Lord. He has to be your Lord. You see, the bottom line is this. The Lord issue, it's really all about control. I mean, that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road, right? It's all about control because when you say the Lord is my shepherd, you're saying, Lord, you're the boss and I'm not. You're in control and I'm not. So I will follow you, not the other way around. And I will trust you and I will be obedient to you and I will be obedient to your word. Why? Because you're my Lord. You're my Lord. I accepted you into my life. I took you into my life as both Savior and Lord. And I will trust you. When author Philip Keller grew up, he lived in East Africa where he was surrounded by sheep herders, similar to those in the Middle East. As a young man, he spent eight years of his life as a sheep rancher. He wrote in the beginning that he got 30 ewe lambs. He said, after bringing them home, a friend who was with me handed me a sharp knife and said, Philip, they're yours now. You need to put your mark on them. You see, in that place and in that time, each shepherd would have a distinctive mark, a notch that would be cut into the ear of each sheep to mark it as his own. It showed that they belonged to the shepherd for the rest of their life. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Law, a servant could voluntarily become what was referred to as a bondservant. After serving six years, he had a choice. He could go free or he could choose to stay with his master. If he stayed, his master would bring him before God and he would pierce his ear with an awl against the doorpost. This was a sign that he had willingly surrendered his freedom to become a servant for life. As we come into the New Testament, the word bondservant or servant is applied to someone who has absolutely surrendered and absolutely devoted themselves to Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, they all describe themselves as bond servants of Jesus. So for us today, being a sheep who is a bond servant of Jesus simply means that we have completely and totally surrendered 
who we are to him. And he has become our shepherd Lord. Oswald Oswald Chambers wrote, The passion of Christianity comes from deliberately signing away my own rights and becoming a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Until I do that, I will not be the kind of sheep who absolutely follows the shepherd. You see, this is what it means to say, the Lord is my shepherd. It comes down to this. Who's in control of your life? You or him? Who's in control? Now, lastly, let's accent the word my. So say that with me if you would. The Lord is my shepherd. Once more, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, somebody said that the word my in Psalm 23 is the most precious word in the psalm because it doesn't say that God is the shepherd of the world or the shepherd of Israel or the shepherd of the church. It says that the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. In fact, in just six short verses, it's mentioned in some form roughly 17 times. You see, the bottom line is this. When the struggles of life get real, and when you're hurting and when you're in pain and you don't know where to turn, guess what? I don't really care if he's the shepherd of the world, Israel, and the church. What I want to know, is he my shepherd, right? That's what we want to know. Is he my shepherd? And does he care for me? Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Verses 2 through 4, great passage. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Now, in this short passage, two things jump out at me. The first is this, our shepherd knows each and every one of his sheep intimately. How cool is that? Our shepherd knows each and every one of his sheep intimately. I mean, did you catch what he said? It said he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, the cool thing is this, he knows you that intimately. And even though he does, guess what? He still loves you. Even though we're stupid and dirty and defenseless, he still loves us. In Psalm 139, David began to understand that. And this is basically what he said. He said, God, you know everything about me. How I feel, how I hurt, what I've done, what I've said, and what I'm thinking. And the amazing thing is, even after knowing all of that, you still love me. How cool is that? God knows us that intimately, and yet he doesn't turn his back on us. He says, I still love you. I still love you. But the second thing that jumps out at me in this passage is this. Our shepherd wants you to know him in the same way. I mean, it's one thing to have God love us that way, but it's a totally different thing to understand and to know that he wants us to love him as well. In the same way, 
I mean, look what he said. Did you catch it in verse 4? And they follow him because they know his voice. They know his voice. Here's the thing that we have to understand. Your relationship with Jesus is not a weekend fling, man. It's not. It's not a weekend fling. It's not a casual encounter. It is a deep knowing. It's a deep knowing. And you'll never be able to say, he's my shepherd, if you don't know his voice. If you don't know his voice. True story. Happened quite a few years ago in Australia. There was a guy who was accused of stealing uh, from another rancher sheep. The case came to court and the judge was having a really hard time trying to figure everything out as well as to, to just decide what he was going to do. And so he did something that was just really hadn't been done before, but he thought it was the, the only thing that would really bring, bring clarity to the situation. So this is what he did. He said, tomorrow, he says, and he looked at the rancher who was accusing this man of stealing sheep. He said, I want you to bring in 10 sheep, five that supposedly were stolen from you, and five from your own flock. Because this man keeps saying that those are his sheep. So you bring those in and put them in the hallway, and we'll have something set up so that they can be out there. So the next morning, everybody gathered. They wanted to see what was going to happen. And when it came time, the judge simply said, I want you to open the back doors. And he opened the doors, and then he looked at the man, the shepherd, and he simply said, I want you to call your sheep. Just call your sheep. And so he began to make that distinctive call. You see, each shepherd had a distinctive call that only his sheep knew and only his sheep responded to. And he began to make that call. And those five sheep that he was accused of stealing began to make their way down to the front and just gathered around the shepherd. The others stayed in the hallway and just gathered together because they did not know the shepherd's voice. So the judge ruled in his favor, found him not guilty, and this is what he said. The sheep always know the voice of their master. The sheep always know the voice of their master. So the question is this. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? Do you know the voice of your shepherd? When he calls, do you listen? Do you hear? Do you follow? Psalm 103 verse 3 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. True story as we close. Bradley, if you'll make your way up here, would you please? Many years ago, there was a famous actor who was a guest of honor at a social gathering where they were reciting famous passages of literary works. There was also an old preacher who was there as well. During one of the breaks, the preacher just went up to the actor and just asked him, he said, Sir, would you mind reciting Psalm 23? And the actor just looked at the old preacher and said, I'll tell you what. I will if you will. 
So when they came back from the break, the actor stood up and he began to recite this amazing psalm. And he did it in, the, in a way that you would expect an actor to do it. I mean, his voice rose and his voice fell and he had all the dramatic pauses. And when he was done, everybody stood and everybody applauded. And then the old preacher got up. And he began to speak. His voice was crackling and he didn't have all the same polish that this actor had. But he spoke as if this psalm was a prayer that came from the depths of his soul. And when he was done, there was no, no applause, no one standing. There was just silence and tears flowing from the cheeks of the people that were there. When the evening was done, someone asked, what was the difference between those two? I mean, what made the difference between the actor and the preacher? And somebody just looked at him and said, oh, it's simple. It said the actor, he knew the psalm, but the preacher knew the shepherd. So the question is, do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? Have you made him Lord and Savior of your life? Because I'll be honest with you if, you, if you've never crossed that line, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, I don't know what you're waiting for. Because there's not a better time than now than to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I guarantee you, you'll never find hope apart from the, the Savior. You'll never find hope apart from the shepherd. You'll never find hope apart from your Lord. Here's what I want us to do. I liked the way my son handled the end of the service when he was here. And, and so I decided, especially today, I thought it was very fitting. And so I've got some questions that are coming up on the screen. And for the next few moments, I just want you to think about these questions. Bradley's just going to play in the background if the worship team wants to go ahead and come up and make their way. But I just want you to begin to think about these questions. I want you to begin to think about where your heart is and where your life is right now in relationship to your shepherd. The first question is this, who are you following? Is Jesus your shepherd? You know what I've discovered over the years, and that is this. We all follow something. I mean, every one of us follow something. It's, it's success or a job or, or money or people. I mean, we all follow something. The question is, who are you following, and is Jesus your shepherd? The second one is this. Who's in control of your life? Have you made Jesus both Lord and Savior? Who's in control? Are you still trying to have that control? Or have you surrendered your heart to, to Jesus Christ? And lastly, when the struggles get real, is having Jesus as your shepherd, is that enough for you? Is that enough? Because it should be. I didn't say it was easy. 
but is he enough? So for just a moment, as Bradley plays in the background, I just want us to spend some time in reflection, and then we'll move on. So just take a moment to reflect on these questions. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. It's just an opportunity we have to gather around the Lord's table. If you're visiting with us today, this is a part of our DNA. It's just part of who we are. And so we, when we come together as the body of Christ each and every week, part of why we come together is because we come together to celebrate what our God has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. Now, this time is not just for our church. It's for anybody who's given their their life to Christ. This is for you as well. We have three stations down front, one here, one here, and one here. In just a moment, I want to have you stand, and we're going to pray together, and then I'm going to invite you to come. But the second thing is this. During this time, I'm going to be seated right over here. As you reflected on these questions, if there's anything on your heart, that you just need to work on, you need to change. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to pray with you. Maybe you're, you're just going through some struggles and you just need somebody to pray. I'd love to pray with you. you just come over here. Maybe you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus because you've never done that. Man, believe me, I'll get real excited to talk to you about that. So whatever's on your heart, you just come. As you come to partake of the Lord's Supper, I'll be sitting there. Why don't we stand, if you would? Go ahead and get the lights for me. Andy, would you pray for us, please? Let's pray together.